and welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Cousins from under center, straight drop, it's another deep shot, center of the field, on another run, 2015 Welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins, presented by Fleet Farm. From camo and cat food to tools and tires, you'll find it all at Fleet Farm, your one-stop shop. Well, Kirk, coming on the heels of that 43-34 loss against the Packers in the opener on, on, on Sunday, uh, the, the first question I have for you, ever played in a game when your offense was on the field for just 18 minutes total? We've seen some drives that last 11, 12 minutes. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been in a game with that low time of possession, but we have no one to blame but ourselves. You know, a turnover will do that. Uh, the safety did that, a three and out. And next thing you know, it's halftime. And then, and and so we really uh, hurt ourselves there and uh, had to climb out of a deep hole. You know, we, we made hay in the late in the third and the fourth quarter, but it was, you know, too little too late. On the surface, Kirk, you really could have asked for a better start. Uh, you defer to the second half, the Packers take the ball. They go on a pretty long drive, but they settle for a field goal. Uh, you get the ball back and have a really nice mix of passing and running with Dalvin Cook and go right down the field and score a touchdown. Was that pretty well scripted? And it, it, you had to feel pretty good about that drive. Yeah, we started aggressive with a couple pass plays, which was, uh, you know, I thought our identity would be heavy run early. And uh, with two pass plays to start the season, I thought that was, uh, you know, kind of fun, kind of different. But then really just ran the ball from there and was just so encouraged by the way we ran the ball, not just on that one drive, but uh, the majority of the game, I thought we ran the ball effectively. Um, we just probably didn't have enough opportunities to. Uh, and when, once we got down, we got in a hurry up pass mode. But uh, that drive was was a, a great drive of just consistent running the football. And then on third and goal to be able to get it in was uh, was a big time play. During our pregame show on Sunday, Ben Lieber noticed the C on Dalvin Cook's jersey. And he said, that's not for captain, it's for ka-ching. Uh, so uh, did, it, did his personality change at all after signing the big uh, the big contract extension? No, and that's what I love about him and, and so much of our team is um, we just have hard workers and uh, guys who certainly, you know, they want to reap the rewards of playing football well, but uh, uh, they're not. it's not going to change who they are. And, um, you know, Dalvin's been a great teammate and is deserving of everything that's come his way and will come his way. And uh, uh, we were leaning on him in Sunday's game, just like we will all season. And uh, we expect big things out of him. Kirk, arguably, uh, one of the big turning points happened because of a great defensive play. I mean, Holton Hill knocked the ball down to the goal line on a fourth and one, fourth and the goal line. And uh, you take over the ball at that point. So you, it's like the defense is charging off the field. You take over and you're thinking, this is a nice turning point for Minnesota. Yeah, in this league, you know, you can talk about yards, you can talk about third down conversions, but all that really matters is points, and that's what they measure it on. And so when our defense is able to hold uh, the Packers to a field goal on the first drive and then hold them to no points on that second drive down the field, you know, all they have to show for two long drives is three points. I thought that was an outstanding job by our defense to hold up. Uh, and so we were take, coming on the field thinking, hey, at a minimum, we got to get two first downs here to get the ball out of this end zone so we can uh, flip the field position. Uh, but if, you know, if, let's do more than that and let's go down and score. And then obviously it didn't go the way we had planned. Uh, it's something you practice a lot when you're backed up against your own goal line. You don't have to worry about crowd noise even on the road uh, these days. But uh, is the philosophy basically just get a couple yards and try to work your way out of it? On second down, it all changed when he took that deep drop and 
Dre Alexander came in untouched, flying past Adam Thielen to get the, the safety. But take us through that play call and, and what we were thinking. Yeah, I came out of the fake and wanted to work, uh, you know, play action down the field. And obviously the, the corner was free and uh, made, made a play, you know, made a tackle in the end zone at that point. Um, you know, we got dealt a tough hand and we had to take it. But, uh, um, you know, there's also, you know, the uh, offsides cadence issue before that was on me and and uh, that was my fault and so there's other plays you point to that you say you know hey could we have put ourselves in a better situation even in advance of that uh, safety where we're not getting stuck back in our end zone uh, like we were. Was Thielen going to be the intended receiver on that on that safety? Well it would have been a two-on-one on their safety uh, uh, number 26 it would have been either Tyler Conklin or uh, Adam Thielen depending on what the, the safety wanted to do in coverage. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, in the end, in the, end the Vikings, uh, after the, they held the Packers to a field goal, so it's only eight to seven, uh, very much anyone's game at that point. But the scale started tipping. Again, we talked about the time of possession at the outset of the show. Uh, you got a three and out, took a sack on third down. And then the Green Bay offense started gaining control. That had to be pretty frustrating at that point, not to kind of generate more offense after that first drive you had. Yeah, I guess to add to my point about our defense not uh, giving up touchdowns, you know, then they get the ball back and still only get a field goal. Uh, but then when we get it back, it was three and out. And so that was where we start to compound the uh, the time of possession challenge. And, uh, and you know, when you go three and out, uh, yeah, you're not going to have a lot of plays. Um, so, you know, that was a, a series that if we had been able to get something going there, you know, maybe we, we get the rhythm back. But when you go three and out and punt again, now, uh, you know, you just, it's starting to slip away a little bit. Packers scored touchdown. It's 15 to seven. There's 39 seconds left in the half. You know, you're going to get the ball to start the third quarter. Uh, the objective there at that point, you could either take a knee, come back out for the second half, or try to get points on the board, knowing you're going to get the ball again to start the third quarter. Is that a general philosophy among your team in particular that, Look at this is why we defer to the second half. We want to get for two for one, basically try to score before the end of the first half, and then get the ball to start the third quarter again. Yeah, we call that a double dip. Certainly, we probably weren't expecting a double dip with so little time left. But uh, it's a fluid situation. You know that if there's a big kickoff return, that you have a chance to to suddenly change the approach if uh, your first play somehow is successful. So you you kind of just stay at the ready. And, um, you know, after we, we got out there and we ran the draw for such a big play, great run by Alex, uh, and got us to almost midfield, now it was you might as well take a shot one way or another. I mean, we're in striking distance to throw a Hail Mary or do whatever we need to do. And uh, there was just enough time to be able to hit that ball to Rudy. And then Rudy was so aware, you know, as he always is, to say, okay, if I keep running with this, uh, I may run out the clock. So let me catch this, get down and then call a timeout. And that's why you also want to save those timeouts for the end of the half in case you need one. And it kind of all worked out. And then Dan Bailey did a great job making that field goal. So we had a little bit, you know, to lean on there going into the half. But, um, you know, we also were frustrated with uh, the way the rest of the half had gone up to that point. Well, there's always uh, moments when a big play can get you back in it. Uh, you had that fourth and three, you're down 22 to 10. 
as you mentioned, you threw deep for Tajay Sharp. Uh, I think people are wondering what were other options out there? What did you see? Uh, I think you mentioned there was a safety coming over and a Thielen or someone else. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation because you want to air it out and maybe give you a chance to get, get an interference or something, but it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, my decision in the moment at the time was I saw the safety, you know, he started to lean over at him. So I decided to work away from him. I uh, didn't love the idea of throwing, you know, to a safety coming over the top. I felt like that was, you know, asking for for something that I didn't didn't need. But uh, you know, when you worked away, it was it was one on one out there. And and uh, I think where I'm wanting that throwback is just to put the ball more on Tajay and give him a chance. I I don't I don't think that you know one on one with that much space. I don't I believe that Tajay's going to make the play. Um, but you got to give him more of a chance to make the play. I think that's where I would say I wish I could have that throwback, um, you know, and that's probably my my feedback on that one. There, there were a couple of plays, Kirk, that we uh, you talked about even before the season began that you wanted to be more reactionary. You said you had discussions with Fran Tarkin about it. We saw certainly more than a couple examples of that uh, taking off, uh, succeeding at the run game and just sort of reacting a little differently than maybe in a, a pattern that you want to have continued the rest of the season? Yeah, if, if Fran was watching, hopefully he enjoyed seeing me move around a little more. Uh, and as I said a couple weeks ago that I agree with him, I think after the game, I would say even more, you know, that's something I need to do. Uh, I need to let it happen instinctively. And what I was pleased about yesterday was I, I didn't go looking for it. I just kind of played. And when it happened, you know, my instincts took over. Um, so I, I, I like you know, scrambling, running to run, but I also like leaving the pocket and running to throw. And so I think both can be good. And uh, hopefully it will also make linebackers and, and defensive coordinators have a little bit more to think about uh, than just covering and stopping Dalvin. But to know, hey, this quarterback, if we're not, you know, watching him, he could take off and run as well. On our speed chart that we ran in our postgame show on, on Sunday, you were, I think, measured maybe just a notch below Dalvin Cook's speed, and Ben Lieber said that's out of fear. <laughs> I like Ben's take. That's pretty good. Uh, it is out of fear. I, I've, if you saw the one where I ran, I was actually looking over my shoulder twice, expecting the linebacker to catch me, and he didn't. So uh, I don't know if those trackers are accurate, but if they are, uh, I'll take it. But you bring up a good point. It does add uh, more of a... a thinking process for the defense and what you want to continue to do on a regular basis and just react as much as, as we see a lot of quarterbacks. You don't have to be the fastest guy in the world. Yeah. You just have to make the key play when it when it's right. there for you and take that moment to run. And they, they're they encouraged. Like one time you put your head down. You didn't. You were yeah. trying to slide. Yeah, no, you try to attack the line of scrimmage, but but remain a passer. And if somebody's open, you know, as, as you're moving forward, make the throw. If they're, you know, covered, then take off and uh, – you know, whether you slide feet first or and sometimes in traffic, you got to dive head first, but get down, avoid the big hit and, um, you know, take those positive yards as a as a good play. Uh, you're used to being on the sidelines uh, when your offense is off the field, uh, hearing the crowd just roaring when the Packers are in particular have the ball instead of was crickets yesterday when they had the football. Is that when you noticed it the most? When there was where there were no fans, when you instead of the heat of the moment when you're on the field, when you're on the sidelines, and unfortunately you were on the sidelines too long on Sunday, but that was crazy. It was surreal, wasn't it? Yeah, in warm-ups, I still didn't know if the feel was going to change once the game started and they piped in that you know uh, noise through the speakers. I didn't know how loud it was going to be. We had had a scrimmage in there. I remember from the scrimmage it was very quiet, and then uh, uh, during the game it was the exact same as the scrimmage was. Um, so, yeah, that first drive the Packers had, you, you, I said to Sean Mannion as we were standing on the sidelines watching, I just said, boy, this is supposed to be the away 
you know, side noise. Uh, it's going to be even quieter when we're on the field. This is this is really unique. Um, but you you play the hand you're dealt. You deal with the situation. And um, while it was different, it didn't surprise us in the sense that we scrimmaged in that environment. We knew that it was coming. And, um, you know, it's just the uniqueness of this season in 2020. Yeah, my understanding is it sounded a lot louder on television than it did. We were in yeah. the press box, and we heard – I mean, you could hear a murmur. That's the best way I could describe it. There wasn't – even the – uh, little horn they saw and everything was just under understated for, for sure. Well, I went home and watched uh, a couple games, you know, after ours in the late afternoon and, and at night. And I heard crowd noise on TV and I looked at my wife and I said, is this what it sounded like for you watching on TV? And she said, yeah, it sounded that way. And I said, that's not at all what it sounded like in the stadium. It was much, much quieter. Uh, late in the game, uh, you got a chance to kind of, you know, open things up a little bit, maybe Green Bay soften things up on defense, but uh, Justin Jefferson, a lot of folks been wondering what he could do in a game and he had a chance, a couple of chances to, to, uh, to show what he's capable of. And uh, when you see a talent like that, and you know he's, you've got to get him integrated in the offense, uh, how do you feel he responded overall? Yeah, we put a lot on his plate. I mean, we were in a two-minute mode. We were moving him around to different positions, uh, uh, asked him to jump in at some, at some different spots at some different times. So he handled things really well. I would think we're only going to grow his plate, grow his role as the season moves on, um, keep trying to find ways to get him touches. I think he can help us a great deal. Unfortunately, you got a lot of time to watch Aaron Rodgers on the field on Sunday, and uh, I, I assume your level of admiration is rather high for Rodgers and looking at his uh, uh, career in totality. Yeah, great player, done it a long time. Uh, you know, showed it showed it on Sunday, but uh, uh, you know he he sets a high bar in our division, and and that's really the standard that uh, that I've got to play to if we're gonna you know win the division and go to the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs. So. Um, you know, you look forward to that challenge uh, every every time you go out there. What's the mood uh, of a team after an opening loss? And, and it hasn't happened often under Mike Zimmer. I think he was 6-1 and one, uh, opening uh, opening uh, game record. So what's the mood around uh, TCO facility uh, today and uh, in the coming days as well as you turn the page? Because this is, you know, this is what you do for a living. You're, you're used to yeah. dealing with the ups and downs. Yeah, it is ups and downs. It's a roller coaster after a loss. It's always tough to get up the next day. The Sunday night after the game, you just feel lousy. Uh, obviously, a win is the opposite, and um, but you learn through the years. You just have to keep going. Right now, it's such a small sample size. There's 16 teams in this league that are 0 and 1, and 16 teams that are 1 and 0. Uh, and when that's really all you have to go off of, then yeah, you don't feel very good right now. Uh, certainly, a sense of urgency going into this week, and um, you know we got to get right back on the horse and get to work on Wednesday and have a great week of practice. And we'll be right back with this week's guest we had a chance to talk to previously, Gophers head coach P.J. Fleck. Vikings game plan returns for a 14th season hosted by me, Paul Allen, your voice of the Minnesota Vikings. We feature weekly player interviews, game film breakdowns with former linebacker, current analyst Pete Bursich, plus more. Watch weekly on KMSP Fox 9 or Fox Sports North or on the Vikings digital and social channels, including Vikings.com, the Vikings mobile app, Vikings Now, the team's connected TV app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Details at Vikings.com slash game plan. Welcome back to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Mark Rosen back with you. Of course, Under Center is presented, proudly presented by Fleet Farm this season. And uh, Kirk, we can see the, the man in the bottom of our screen, RTB. We know what that means. Row the boat. The one and only P.J. Fleck, the head coach of the Minnesota Gophers. So as, as a fellow Big Ten guy, I'll let you take it away and 
let's delve deep into PJ Flex mind today. Coach Fleck, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'll just get thanks started with a with a question. Uh, what in this unique time? What has been your message to your uh, to your football team as you're kind of going through uh, this fluid situation with the COVID virus? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, you know, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to coach. That's what we do. We play and we coach. But our job is to make sure that we have our team ready to play whenever the Big Ten gives us the light, uh, the green light. So that's what we have to be able to continue to do. And we've got to focus on whatever we're doing today. we got to be better today than we were yesterday and really focus on the now. I mean, whether it's our personal life, whether it's our spiritual life, well, our academic life, our football life. I think this has really kind of taught the whole world to focus on now, appreciate now, uh, really get better at now uh, because we don't have any other option, especially with us. We don't even have a play date for when we're actually going to start yet. So we have to do what we do today better than we did it yesterday. So whichever teams, just like the NFL, whoever can do this time and the time that we've had building up to now, better for longer is probably gonna have the best chance to succeed so that's what we've been focused on amen now what's been your message to the team coming off of such a successful season such an emotional high i was watching that outback bowl victory in our training room as we were getting ready for our next game and uh you come back from that game i remember when i was at michigan state and mark d'antonio would talk about going from being the the hunter to being the hunted what has been your message to your football team all off season coming off such a memorable season with such an emotional high well, first of all, one year, right, has nothing to do with the following year. Uh, they're all its own different entities. It's a completely different team that we had last year. We have some different strengths. We have some different weaknesses. We've got some things that we've got to continue to get better at. It's the identity of the football team's different, but the culture is the same. And so we want to take that next right step of our program. And as basically what you said you did at Michigan State, we want to continue to do. That doesn't mean you're going to win 12 games every single year or 11 games every single year, but you want to constantly be in the fight and be in the hunt. We talked this year about the, the bamboo tree. You know, in year four, that bamboo tree can grow from one foot all the way to 90 feet in year four, why it takes the first three years to develop that root system. So we want our real roots to develop the bamboo in year four, but we're going to have to earn it. Um, nothing's ever guaranteed. All we continue to do is find a way to stack chances on top of each other to give us the best chance to have a really successful football team on and off the field as we build this character of this football team and the identity of this team, which has been a challenge for everybody this year, being able to do it virtually, then coming back together, then separating again, and, and now hopefully coming back together here very soon uh, for what we hopefully feel is a season right around the corner. I love that message. And uh, coach, you've won me over. Uh, I've been here now about two and a half years in Minnesota. Uh, we met uh, during when the Super Bowl was here back in early 2000. 18 and I kind of asked you about this area you said it was your favorite place you've lived since you've been in coaching and uh, uh, I can see now after being here two and a half years what you what you meant and and I'm right there with you so uh, uh, I'm in your corner I uh, I tell people they're my the, the, the Gophers are my Big Ten West team <laughs> my, my <background laughs> that's a good one that's a good way out I like yeah it, it kind of prevents me from uh, going any further than that but at the same time I say hey they're my Big Ten West team I'm going to pull for them so Believe in you and what you're doing. And I kind of want to go back and, and let you kind of tell your story. Uh, I'll ask a few questions along the way. But um, starting with when you were uh, uh, released by the 49ers as a player, you played in college at, at Northern Illinois, go to play with the 49ers. They release you. They offer you a job 
to coach with their team, which today would be very coveted. Uh, can you talk about, you know, was coaching always going to be your next step, whether you played 10 years in the NFL or one year, was that always going to be the next step? Or at the time, was that not on your radar? And how did you kind of process through that of do I coach or do I keep trying to play? That's a great question. Um, you know, I wasn't a very good player. Um, they cut me my third year when they kind of found out I was still there. You know, I was one of those guys <laughs> that never, you know, he was always the 53rd guy or the, the practice squad player and did everything you could just to be able to have a role somehow, some way. And come the third year after another injury, I've had five shoulder surgeries. And, and uh, Mike Nolan, I remember calling me up to his office and and cutting me, but also offer me a job within the next sentence. Uh, and wow. at the time, I knew I wanted to coach, but okay. I didn't have any coaching connections. I mean, my dad kills bugs for a living. My mom's a teacher's aide. We have no coaching in our background, but we do have education. And I have an elementary education degree. I was going to teach sixth grade social studies. I basically, coming out of college, had a job lined up and then played in the NFL. So um, it really takes people to kind of get you to where you truly want to be. And Mike, Mike Nolan is a guy who I still talk to to this day, who's really the trailblazer of my career. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. So uh, he offered me a job and like an idiot, I declined it uh, because I got another offer to, from Jim Tressel to go be a GA in college at Ohio State because his GA couldn't get into school at the last minute. Wow. So for me, it was one of those things. Do I stay in, do I stay in coach in the NFL, which again, like you said, maybe a little bit more coveted and you have an opportunity to get in the NFL. And, but at the, at the same time, I was going to coach guys I just competed against and yeah. we all think we're pretty good. So I'm going to coach guys that I think I'm still better than. Right. And it was hard. I think I needed that hard concrete separation and the only way I was going to be able to do that was to go back to college and really start the career. And, and that's what I decided to do. Could I have possibly been a journeyman and NFL Europe was back then? Could I have played maybe three, four, five more years somehow, some way and jumped around to practice squads? Maybe. But I think it was um, I've always looked for, for fate and, and certain spiritual moments in my life that are, 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 you know, God's telling me something. And I felt that was the right time. And so God done playing. Uh, I didn't have a big career as it was. So it wasn't that hard of a decision. But then, you know, going to be a GA and going to the national championship at Ohio State started everything for me. So Mike Nolan, who believed in me as a coach, and then Jim Tressel really got my, yeah. my career going. If you could pick two guys to start your career, and those are two pretty good guys, if you don't know anybody, to really kind of jumpstart your life. Well, it's funny how the coaching trees all connect because Mark D'Antonio was the D coordinator for Jim Tressel back in, yep. uh, you know, the early 2000s. And I remember when I was being recruited by him and ended up going to Michigan State, part of, and Michigan State had not been to a bowl game in five straight years. We were kind of figuring it out with Coach D. And part of my confidence in Coach D was knowing he saw what it looked like in 2002 at Ohio State when they won it all and coached with Jim Tressel. So he's seen the best. He knows what that looks like. And whether we're the best or not, he knows where we have to go and what it should look like. Having coached in 06 with a, a team that went undefeated in the regular season, one, had a Heisman Trophy winner, you're, you're coaching with Jim Tressel. I got to believe that gave you confidence in your coaching career. And even now as you recruit, you can say, look, I've seen the top of the top. I've seen what a Heisman Trophy winner looks like. Uh, can you talk about that season and kind of going through that and seeing such success? Yeah, what a remarkable year, um, you know, because I've always been around program builds and turnarounds 
whether it was the 49ers, whether it was Northern Illinois, whether it was my high school, I had really kind of only been around the turnarounds. Uh, and to go into Ohio State, there was nothing turning around about Troy <laughs> Smith and Anthony Gonzalez and Teddy Ginn and, and uh, James Laurinaitis and guys wow. like that. So there was no turning around. We had the best team in the country. But what I saw was we were ranked number one from the start and until the last game against Florida in the national championship, we were ranked number one. And I got to be able to see Jim Tressel, uh, one, realize that it's a player's game. And you can't win as a coach without players. But also what I saw on that team was a bunch of players who needed their coaches, who needed the relationship. Yes. Not only just on the field for the play calling and putting them in the best place to be successful, but they needed the relationship. They needed the father figures. They needed the brotherhood of each other. And what I saw was there was this give and take. And some people just say, oh, it's only about the players or it's only about the coaches. It is truly that 50-50 relationship. And it was so balanced. And I think that's why we had so much success. Uh, and I've seen extremes of, of different types of teams rules, you know, just, just players only who thought they didn't need anyone. We didn't, we weren't very good. And I've seen just coaches think they have all the answers and we weren't very good. It's that give and take and that complete 50, 50 balance of understanding you truly need each other uh, to have a season like we did and wow. watch Jim Tressel kind of uh, navigate the waters of that, uh, of that year uh, was priceless for me in my first year being a coach. Think about your first yeah. year as a head coach or as a, as a, as a GA, you, you go to the national championship with an undefeated football team and you get to watch the pressures yes. of that. And yes. I've had two teams that I've coached as a head coach, one at Western Michigan who went undefeated in the regular season. And then we were undefeated through basically eight games yes. this year. And, but to see how those things correlate and then how it doesn't, how it comes falling down at some point is very similar, just like the Florida game was at Ohio State for us. And we'll be right back with more of our conversation with Gophers head coach P.J. Fleck on Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Know someone who has gone above and beyond to help the community during COVID-19? Well, the Vikings and Miller Lite are teaming up to recognize frontline heroes during the pandemic. Submit your nomination today at vikings.com slash frontline. From camo and cat food to tools and tires, you'll find it all at Fleet Farm, your one-stop shop. Fleet Farm is a proud sponsor of Under Center. Now, it's no secret that, uh, that recruiting is a huge part of the, you know, building a team, getting the right people on the bus. Uh, and obviously, you have your, your selling points, your messaging. You're trying to find people that are a great fit for your program. Give me an update nowadays on the, the kids that are coming out of high school. What are they looking for in recruiting? What are the, the players placing a premium on that, that uh, you know, maybe has changed over the years? Well, for us, I mean, we want the players who are putting a premium on relationships, on culture, okay. on leadership, on connectivity, uh, on being a football team and a great teammate. Those are the things we want, who want really special things in their life who want to accomplish elite and extraordinary things academically, athletically, socially, spiritually. So I, I don't think that's changed for the kids that we look at. Now, I think that's changed in society as we've kind of made this a little bit more of a materialistic uh, uh, business uh, at times, uh, which I, I don't like. It's still an educational Amen. educational developmental process of your life. Amen. So for us, we, we, we constantly look for that. Um, it's, it's a little harder at times to find that. But when the more success you have, you find the athlete plus that. You find the talent of that person on the field plus that talent of that person off the field. And that's where we're getting at right now. 
I mean, just look at where we're at. I mean, we've got 11 active NFL players right now. Seven of them have come from our culture in the last three years. Yep. Uh, and that, that says a lot about who we are as a football team, who we are as a program. But we're always going to want the person that fits our culture. I'm not for everybody. I've said it from day one. <laughs> I've said it for eight years being a head coach. I don't want to be for everyone. Uh, I want to be for a select group of men that we all fit together we all have the same and same kind of mindset the goals the vision uh we want to accomplish extraordinary things in our entire life our world's important to us the people around us are important to us so i think that hasn't necessarily changed for us but we're, we're looking at that selective group of people who are yeah. truly valuing that and yeah. then you throw in minneapolis you throw in the Twin City area. You throw in one of the best universities in the entire country. You, 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 you throw in that college experience. And I think that's why we're able to have some, uh, so much success now uh, compared to years past. That's great. Rosie, go ahead. Yeah, uh, PJ, you have young men from uh, all over the country with varying backgrounds on your football team. And uh, we all know this is a volatile time in our country. So beyond football, uh, you have, you've had a real open-door policy. How do you – have those so-called uncomfortable conversations to let your young players vent if necessary to really find out kind of where they stand, how they feel, where they fit in, uh, in, in this culture that we live in right now. Well, one thing about our program is we've always had that open door policy. We've always attacked societal issues head on with our go for life program, which we've had for four years that involves everything um, from police brutality to, you know, a dinner etiquette. Um, there, there's all different types of things that we've, um, we've kind of hit on, hit head on, uh, with our program proactively and not to say we have all the answers, but what I will say is that this is about becoming united. It's coming, becoming united as, as human beings, not just as certain races, but as, as mankind, as, as human beings and watching our players be able to have open policies to talk to each other, to come to me, to have open Zoom team meetings, because we're not able to have everybody together all the time live uh, like we used to. So mm -hmm. now it's finding those creative ways to be able to do that, to giving our players a major voice in what they want to do as we, conti as we continue to find a way to be the leader of change in the Twin City area as a university and as a football program. We want to be the standard of what it looks like just like the Vikings, as they continue to do, uh, to be the, the, the leadership of change among the, 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 the sports teams in our city. And I think that's powerful when you give university and young people, university students and student athletes and young people a voice to hear what they have to say and hear if they were to make it, if they were to make the change, what would the change look like? Mm -hmm. So we're implementing so many more things inside our program not because we have to, but because we want to. And it's the way that we can unite mankind and unite our university and unite our state as we continue to move forward um, through a lot of the changes we're having in our society, which are long, long overdue. Yeah. One final question is for me, PJ. Uh, we don't know as, as of this taping, we don't know what, uh, when the Big Ten if, uh, if will begin play again. But we all know it's the engine that feeds so many other programs uh, at the college level. Uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, getting this thing going uh, January, March, whatever it is, does it matter to you? But how important is it to get college Big Ten football back on the map safely? 
Well, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head. It's the safely word, right? I think everybody, I mean, you look around the country and, you know, people are pushing the season back. People are, you know, have 40-some members of their team out. People are stopping, they're pausing their workouts. And, and here we are on Labor Day. And, uh, you know, I've labored on Labor Day basically for the last 25 years somehow, <laughs> some way as a player and as a coach. But I think the big thing is to know, and I think I speak for everyone on our football team, is we do want to play but I think everybody wants to play safely. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I got an 18 on my ACT. I mean, no one's asking me <laughs> what, 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 my, what, 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 what the cures are and things like that. But, you know, the, the leadership at the top will eventually give us the green light when it's safe. I think our student athletes appreciate that people are looking out for their well-being. Uh, but they do want to play. And I think that's critical when you're a competitor and when you're a student athlete, you want to find a way to play. And that's never been the issue. Uh, the issue is making sure that it's a safe environment for every football team that's on the field on that particular day and creating a very safe practice environment, which we feel at the University of Minnesota with our leadership, Mark Coyle, our athletic director and President Joan Gable, uh, we have provided that. And I feel like our players feel that way. And I think the next right step is finding a way to get on the field. That's outstanding. Um, Coach, we're behind you. Uh, we believe in you. Thanks so much for coming on the, uh, the show today. Uh, it's a thrill to get to follow what you're building at, at the U. And uh, if you get back to West Michigan in the summers, give me a shout. That's where I'm spending my summers. So if you ever get back and, and uh, I'm going to keep an eye for some, for some under the radar players in my home area back in West Michigan. And maybe if no one else is offering, I'm telling them to go, go to the U of M. So uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll be following you and pulling for you all season, whenever that season is. Subscribe to the official YouTube channel of the Minnesota Vikings to get all the latest video content from the Vikings Entertainment Network. Watch segments from TV shows such as Vikings Game Plan and Vikings Connected. Catch original digital programming like The Voyage and Vikings Post Game Live. Hear from players and coaches, plus more. Visit vikings.com slash YouTube to subscribe today. All right, Kirk, it's on to Indianapolis this week where you won't have to contend with uh, crowd noise. So they're, they're not going to have any fans, I, I don't believe, in that stadium either. So uh, what comes to mind when you prepare for this game now and turn the page and, and go on the road, if you want to call it that, it feels like probably more of a neutral site in another indoor stadium against the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I've been told they may have about 2,500 fans. And so, again, it's a little bit of an unknown as to – is 2,500 fans going to create a lot of noise or a little bit? Um, my guess is that, you know, 2,500 fans is still 2,500 people more than what we had this past Sunday. And so that's got to create some noise. So we'll certainly prepare for the the worst and practice with noise and get used to that and then uh, react accordingly. But uh, yeah, it'll be an extremely different environment from just about any other away game, you know, I've played in my career. And, um, you know, we got to bring our energy and and uh, find a way to get it done. But, uh, you know, another good football team, well-coached, a lot of big-name players, and, um, you know, it'll be a challenge. Well, we saw Kansas City, I think, with 17,000 fans. I think they had some fans in Jacksonville, a few other cities, I think Dallas, a few other ones. You mentioned Indy. I wasn't even aware they are going to have fans. Should it be uniform around the National Football League? We're seeing in Major League Baseball, obviously the NBA and NHL are in bubbles where no fans are involved. But, uh, I don't know, for me, it seems kind of a head-scratcher. Either you, you do have fans or you don't have fans, yeah. but that's not the way it's going right now. Yeah, uh, 2020 has just been a tough year overall. I think it's been a I think it's been a head scratcher in a lot of ways. But uh, you know, I think ultimately we want fans in the stands. We want them to experience our game. And so, if a stadium can have stands, then uh, 
they can't have fans in the stands, then, you know, let's bring them in. But yes, there becomes a competitive difference, certainly, if it's different from city to city, stadium to stadium, state to state. When you look at uh, that Colts defense, you probably haven't had a lot of chance to dig too deep into it yet, but they made a big trade that they not for DeForest Buckner, a guy you're pretty familiar with from the San Francisco 49ers. He's kind of the glue of that defensive line, and that's why they made the trade to get him. Yeah, great player, tough to block. Uh, he's a mountain of a man, and uh, um, you know he's, he's going to be a difference maker for them. So we'll have to know where he is on every play and, and have a great plan to uh, take care of someone who's you know been a really productive player in this league for a long time. Another guy trying to uh, kind of keep his career going, you're pretty familiar with, uh, Xavier Rhodes, moving on with his career to the Indianapolis Colts. Does it give you an advantage since you worked against him at practice, or does it really make much difference at all? Well, I don't know about an advantage. It's just different being so familiar with with a player, and I think he'd say the same for being familiar with us as players. Uh, you know, the scheme is different. Um, but you just know the guy, you know, the, you know, the person and, um, um, you know, I, I think to some degree, maybe that gets overblown. You, you still see him as, you know, he's in a certain coverage and you treat those rules the same, but it is, uh, you know, a person you're familiar with. You talked about, uh, the quarterback and Aaron Rodgers and how long his career has gone on. You're facing, not you particularly, but the, the defense is facing a guy named Philip Rivers who had 38 is continuing his career after all those years with the Chargers. He threw the ball 46 times in the loss at Indianapolis. Uh, that guy just has a way of just hanging around and hanging around and, and making things really tough for defenses because you know he's not going to run. Uh, what are your thoughts about watching the arc of Philip Rivers' career? I've loved him as a player since he came into the league. I, I love the fact that he started you know, 225 straight games. Uh, I love the way he competes, the way he throws the football. Um, I think he's an outstanding quarterback. I think he's another one of those guys that came, you know, about a decade before me into this league and really set a high bar for what quarterbacking at a Pro Bowl level looks like. And, um, you know, those guys who have been doing it for 15 years plus have really set a standard that many of us slightly younger players are, are chasing and trying to get to. And, um, you know, he'll he'll be a challenge on on Sunday as well. Is that something uh, uh, we talk about? Those quarterbacks have been around. We saw, you know, Brady uh, against Drew Brees on Sunday afternoon, and people talk about that these guys are still going strong at yeah. that level. Is that motivation for you, Kirk, to to continue on and be to try to play at the highest possible level for you know eight nine more years? Yeah, I mean, you take it one day at a time, one game at a time, because you know how challenging this league is and how much can change. But you, you certainly see what's possible. Uh, where guys have taken it, you know, the the extent to which they take care of their bodies and their minds to be able to do what they're doing in their late 30s and early 40s. And so you see, hey, that's out there. Uh, we'll see who can do it, but it's out there. And, um, you know, you certainly want to want to play at a high level as long as you can. And I think that's something that players in any position, not just the quarterback position, you kind of treat it as a badge of honor when you can stack up years and and good years where you're playing football at a really high level. But so few are able to do it. And, uh, you know, if you can be one of those guys, I think it's pretty special. So as you turn the page, get ready for the Colts and uh, offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak has uh, been down this road many, many a time. What 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 are the conversations like with Gary as you kind of reload and, and figure out what went wrong against Green Bay and what you need to do to get in the win column in a very important game here on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, we definitely go right back to work. We uh, review the film, talk about what we experienced, what we learned. 
you know, it's without preseason games with a new voice in your helmet, it is still new and there is a learning curve. And so uh, we have those conversations this week and to try to really tighten the screws, uh, which is a part of, of uh, you know, when you have a new coordinator, when you have a, uh, you know, no preseason, that's to be expected. So we, we got to, you know, get dialed in quickly and make any corrections, adjustments we need to make, get the next game plan really dialed in and then uh, go out there and make plays and, and be ready to adjust to the looks that we haven't seen or prepared for and be able to still handle them and make the right play. Do you have a renewed appreciation for preseason games or is it a necessary evil uh, going forward? Not quite sure how the league is going to address this, but uh, do you think the teams overall missed having uh, the value of what those preseason games mean? Well, I think there's a tremendous value for young players. And so you can't uh, forget that part of it, that even guys who were not active yesterday on the practice squad, there's a lot of evaluation that goes on in those uh, uh, preseason games that has probably less to do with week one, but more to do with the games and years up ahead. Um, and then obviously it's a business. And so there's revenue to be brought in during a preseason game. And I'm sure that's a big part of it all as well. Uh, for veteran players who have been around a long time, I'm sure they played yesterday and felt like, uh, you know, hey, we can still go out there and be productive. And it's not like you need the preseason to function. But um, I think every player, every situation is different. And you also have to remind yourself that ultimately it's a business and they're going to make business decisions. There was a lot of consternation throughout the, the you know, from the time you guys eventually got to training camp. Uh, can the league keep these players safe? You're not, you're going home at night. I don't believe there was one player, one member of a coaching staff, uh, one administrative person tested positive. In fact, everybody was eligible to, to play. What, and, and that's, that's, that's a key thing because yeah. you can't have this thing spiral out of control because it, it can be, we saw a little bit with baseball at the beginning with the Cardinals and the Marlins to make sure everyone's doing their due diligence to stay on the field. You know, I didn't even give any thought to that last night or this morning that how did it come out from the game? Uh, and I don't know if there's still more time that has to pass before we get all that data. But it was encouraging if truly we we played those games and were able to move on without a uh, an issue being raised. That's a really positive thing. So hopefully that can keep going and uh, um, that would be a major success. Yeah, you get the sense that, the you know, you've talked about the young players taking personal responsibility not just for themselves, but for each other in this football team, because everyone is going to be responsible for each other. Uh, if you want, if you want this, if you don't want this thing derailed, because there's too much at stake yeah. financially, competitive yeah. standpoint right. to have anything like that happen, because you aren't living in a bubble right now. Right. No, it's not a bubble. Not like the NBA. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to travel as often as other professional sports leagues. So in a way that might be able to help us, but uh, um, you know, through camp, we made it out, made it through, really well and uh i would i would think that during the season we need to take the same approach we had during camp and and hopefully that will serve us well i know you're a tennis aficionado we'll talk about your tennis game <laughs> a little bit later but did you get a chance to catch any of the u.s open in, in your spare time i watched some of it i actually did not watch the final sunday night the men's final so i don't know if you could tell me who you could tell me who won i didn't even watch it um i can't remember who won <laughs> i am <laughs> so in when our game ended, uh, one of our employees, who's a big I, tennis fan, said that yeah. uh, team who was really the favorite. Oh, he won! Actually, okay, because he was down when he won. When I yes, in. yeah, but he did win. He came back in the story. In fact, I think he was two sets down. Wow! I uh, I I'm precedented to have a rally like that again. I can't imagine playing out there without any fans and having trying to feed off that emotion. You're doing it, trying to do it on the football field. I can't imagine one on one on a tennis court, but. Now that you mentioned hours. it, because I, I forgot that it was even on, on Sunday night. So. Yeah, team one, he's a uh, 
team one and he's he rips the ball i mean he uh you know he's he's explosive so he's kind of fun to watch because again as a quarterback you, you want to be twitchy when you throw the ball you want to have explosiveness and be really quick twitch and get the ball out quickly so in tennis the same way they're rotational athletes and they have a similar approach so i enjoy watching those guys i think it's fun to see how they have to move with that quick twitch approach and i try to have that same approach when i throw the football Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Under Center is presented by Fleet Farm.